to Soccer Symposium. We're your hosts. I'm Doug Daffin. I'm Chris Benderman, and we have a fresh new guest for you tonight. Mr. Allred, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm uh, Ben Allred. Mr. Allred, what are you into? What do you do? Uh, I'm in law school with these two gentlemen. Uh, we're both we're all three three L's. Uh, I'm going to be working in patent law. I have a background in chemistry. Probably doing nothing with that. Uh, interested in a lot of computer technology and that sort of thing. Is it fair to say the patent law is generally within the f- the sphere of intellectual property law? Yeah, it's what not fair. It's what most people think of when they hear like intellectual property. It's the the biggest kind of section of IP law. Well, glad to have you in the show, sir. Glad to be here. Now to get started, let's talk about the drink tonight, which really. I yeah. think both of y'all can talk about. So, um, this drink is called the Ben Allred. It's a, uh, it's a variation to me on the Brandon Turner, which is Kool-Aid and vodka. Um, this is pre-workout and gin. Uh, yeah, so it's like the adult, uh, Kool-Aid and vodka. <laughs> What's funny is, uh... I told Doug and Chris I was going to be on the show, and they were like, oh, well, like, we'll come up with a drink for you. And this is what they came up with, but the uh, summer before law school, I made this exact same drink with my friends, and it got the exact same name. So they just coincidentally, like, you know, I guess sized me up, profiled me, and like, you know what? You know what in- in- encapsulates uh, Ben Allred is uh, gin and pre-workout. So it's been two groups of friends that have uh, decided that's that's what I should drink, which I'm kind of proud of and kind of ashamed of. Independently, which, by the way, brings me to our first uh, drinking game of the night, which is plagiarism. Um, plagiarism is any time that uh, any of us refers to an idea or a notion that has appeared on a prior show. This is a new name for the same thing that's happened every single episode, the same rule every single oh. episode. Now, game game two. Uh, there is a part of, I believe, copyright law called uh, confusingly similar. Is that correct? Yeah, I think it's substantially similar or something something along those lines. The Wikipedia page says confusingly similar. And that is for any time that any of us bring up an idea and we define the idea a certain way and others of us don't agree that that's what that idea means or have heard a different variant of the same idea. And this will make sense to all of you in a second because today we are going to be talking about the integrity of ideas. So I literally just violated that first or second game, right? Yeah. Substantially similar and uh, exactly. confusingly similar. Uh-huh. All right, I'm starting to get it. You're right. Yeah. So so this is the thing, right? I mean, Mr. Elred, I, I want you to articulate further, but I think we can agree that within the sphere of the law can i add a third game absolutely (laughs) um this is for this is cabezos's law okay anytime we mention a video game yes uh we take a drink oh boy and professor cabezos is uh i think that's probably his name um (laughs) i think so yeah he's uh without looking it up that's his name uh for tonight that's his name (laughs) he's the video game law professor that chris and i have Mm -hmm. um that's his name. So anytime we talk about video games, that's Cabez. It's We're like God- now. Yeah, it's like Godwin's Law. Anytime you talk about Hitler. <laughs> well, except yeah. <laughs> in any event. So, okay. On those three bases. The first thing I will say is, Mr. Allred, with your background in intellectual property law, I'm sure you can agree with me that no one gets to own an idea, right? Well, yeah, that's... 
the idea behind patent law is you can't own an idea, well, all intellectual property. You can't own an idea, but you can own certain formulations of it. Okay. So let me run a little experiment with you too when we start talking about the integrity of ideas. So if I were to ask you to pronounce the dot J, sorry, the dot G I F format of information. And this is really funny because I was, I was planning to play this game with you guys well before the show started, but I actually heard Ben pronounce it before the show started on, on a completely other subject. Yeah. (laughs) So each of you two, how would you pronounce the dot GIF graphical interface format. How would you pronounce it as a word? Doug, you can go first. Uh, please. Um, so the the creator of GIFs has actually come out and said, like, oh, I want it pronounced GIFs, which is exactly what we're talking about. You don't get to, like, own the idea of uh, your creation. And the reason the creator is wrong about his own name is that GIF stands for graphical uh, interface interface format interface. interface format yeah and graphical is pronounced with a g as in gif not a j as in graphical and for that reason even though the creator of gifs says that it should be gifs he is wrong he does not get to own his idea and it is and should be gifs until they take me away okay and doug i pronounce it gif <laughs> um, because I'm a big fan of romance spells. That is I A E O U. Okay. So I think the I should be pronounced uh, E. Fair enough. So it should be Geef. And and I like that better. And listen, here's the thing: even whether you're also or interchange- not. No, never mind. Hang on, interchange is it. <laughs> yeah. I, I do pronounce it GIF. I'm with Ben on this. See, I for the GIF. exact same reason. For me, it's GIF, and and the reason for me it's GIF is that. You know, my overall view on this is I think that if you are the one who creates something and the thing you create is not sentient enough to decide for itself, you probably get to name it. And you probably get to have the legacy of other people having to respect the name you've given something. That's a view that I have, but we're going to challenge that over the course of this episode because I want to continue to talk about that very notion. It's about more than naming. I want to talk to you guys about how much does a thing, how, how much does an idea, not just a name, but an idea, a notion, a variant of a thing, get to retain integrity over the course of its life? Or how much does it indelibly change by those that receive it? So I want to do this other play, this little, little game with you. When I was younger, I thought a lot about two words. Words you two have heard a lot. And I'm interested to hear you two define these words. You ready? We're going to go to our guest first. Okay? Okay. Liberal and conservative. Oh, um, so is this in context of uh, politics or just in general? Talk to me. What, what do you think? When you hear these words, because I think we can agree that words should have meaning. We all speak the same language, don't we? And if I, you know, want to talk to you about a car or a boat, you should probably have some semblance of an understanding what the hell I'm talking about. So what is a liberal? What does it mean to be liberal? What is liberal? And the same for conservative. Um, I guess 
for me, just like the base words themselves, liberal would mean generally more of something as much as you think is appropriate, whereas conservative would be trying to have less as much as you think is necessary. So I guess that's what it comes down to is liberal is, oh, I think this amount is appropriate. I gave myself a liberal helping dessert where conservative is, is oh, this is what I think is absolutely necessary. Um, and I was, I was very conservative with the, uh, the helping. Yeah. The helping or right. what have you. Fair enough. Doug. Uh, I think you're about to play a game with the definitions. I want to raise a point that if, if you look up those words in a dic- dictionary, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh huh. Um, if you look up the words, you'll see like liberal one, what, uh, Ben just said two you know, a member of the DNC, something like that. I I just want to make sure that you don't immediately say we have opposing definitions just because he does, you know, the first definition under liberal and I do the second definition under liberal. No, no. Well, the first thing I would say is why should anybody who claims to be the authority on the definition of words, why should they have dominion over it? I mean, because ultimately, at the end of the day, contextualized... We have to be able to talk. Right. And definitions found in the dictionary are only going to help us so much. And this was an episode we had with Zach yeah. as a guest. It's true. Yeah. your gavel. Because that's a drink. Plagiarism. Mm-hmm. Plagiarism. Yeah. Well, yeah, when you're just essentially debating semantics, right. well, you kind of get down to the so, concept, perception is reality. So it's not what does the word have doesn't have some set meaning. Yeah. It's what what are you actually communicating? We're going to talk about that. Absolutely. Yeah. We're going to talk about communication rather than like set formalized definitions. But here's the other thing, Doug. We are the first level is we're going to be asking is I'm going to be asking initially, yeah. what do those words mean? And then we're going to talk context. In an apolitical context, I'm with Ben is that liberal means, you know, a generous um uh, it's synonymous with generous mm-hmm. um and conservative is uh you know just enough okay mm, so, generous versus just enough yes both phrases having a lot of content in them a lot of uh normative content but now let's well i mean you gotta like you know because ben didn't say generous he said a lot of yes Generous is normative. Huh? I'm sorry? Well, what I meant more with my my definition was uh, liberal is like the amount you think is appropriate. Well, yeah, you think is appropriate. Well, conservatives would be the same appropriate, right? That's fair. Right? Yeah. But what you said was a lot of, or at least a lot of compared to the conservative version, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess generous is a good way to put it. Well, yeah, that's isn't isn't it interesting? Because one's normative, the other one is merely descriptive, comparative, even, right? Yeah, yeah. So now, with that backdrop, let's talk politics. If I said to you, "Vote for me," I'm one of the most liberal candidates on the ballot, versus "Vote for me," I'm one of the most conservative candidates on the ballot. What would you think about each of those two, with uh, no other information? At least in the U.S., I would think in terms of classical, like, Democratic versus Republican. So a uh, liberal on U.S. spectrum would probably mean very 
little uh, social restrictions, but higher economic restrictions. And conservative on the U.S. political spectrum would probably mean the opposite, which is certain social restrictions they think is appropriate for the morality of society and uh, very little financial restrictions because Republicans believe in this idea that the free market will regulate itself and trickle down economics and stuff I'm not going to get into. Fair enough. And Doug, what do you uh, think? Generally, I'm going to agree with Ben, but I do want to bring up Kilo versus New London because that kind oh, of... Oh, God, let's... That flips it around. So for you uh, me, yeah. non-legal educated people, Kilo versus New London is an eminent domain case. Um, eminent domain is when the government takes your property and then pays you for it. Um, and they can only do it under certain circumstances. Uh, in Kilo versus City of New London, um, Kilo lived in the City of New London, and the City of New London used eminent domain to uh, raise a area, uh, like a, a large geographic area, um, along a waterfront. So to be perfectly clear, they condemned an area and then sold the area to a private developer. Yes, and then they sold it to a private developer for for economic development. The thing is, it passed, or the the city of New London won in the Supreme Court in a 5-4 ruling um, that it's allowable for a city to condemn... Um, condemn land for a strict private party A to private party B transfer um, for ser- for that serves a public purpose. And under Ben's definition, it sounds like the conservatives would have been the ones to vote for it and the liberals against it. But instead, it was the other way around. And the people who voted for it were mostly liberals, and the people who voted against Against it were mostly conservatives. And we're going to talk about that in a second, I promise. But I'm interested right. to hear, when you you hear the words liberal and conservative, what does that communicate to you? Politically? Yes. Um, as a, If they're a candidate, it means generally that if they're a liberal, they're a member of the DNC. And if they're a conservative, they're either a member of the GOP or a libertarian. So you think very much relationally rather than that they're telling you something about what they believe in um i think generally yes i do believe that because i i don't think the parties are idyllic well what in the but in the case of primaries if uh say in the republican primary candidate would say i'm the most conservative candidate on the ballot for the, for the rnc what what would that say to you i think in the rnc they'll all say that <laughs> Okay. Sure, but what do yeah. they mean by that? Uh, <laughs> that they mean I'm the most. Uh, I'll toe the line the most. I'll toe vote, what line? I'll I'll never. I'll vote for whatever the RNC wants. To me, that's what it means. I'm I'm being very um, mm-hmm. non-idyllic here. <laughs> I, I realize that. But that's, Although, as an example, I'm sure you know that. Um, rant. Uh, uh, Oh goodness gracious! Rand, Rand Paul's Paul? dad, Ron Paul, Ron Paul. It's one letter. 
Oh my goodness. No. <laughs> oh, it's two. It's two. Two letters. Yeah. If you ask me. One deletion, one trans. Yeah. <laughs> Ron Paul would get up on any stage and say, I'm the most conservative. And what he means is, right, I will not toe the line. Right. And if you want to ask me the opposite question, if um, it's a Democrat primary and someone yeah. that's, if they're, that they're the most liberal, I'm going to say that they're probably not going to, they're going to try to push the, what, um, the Democratic Party does like Bernie Sanders would be one of the more liberal versus sure um, generally other people. So I I feel like that's because in America conservative or the Republican Party is deeply conservative and the Liberal Party is more moderate. Well, the problem yeah. is you're using more words that we could disagree on. But before we get there, let's take our two drinks for the fact that we all just disagreed about both types of definitions for those two words. It's a very tangy drink. It's, I think it's yeah. just great. Um, Surprisingly so. So, yeah. of course, you know, the immediate reaction I think that any historian would have to our conversation is that, incidentally, the American usage of these words is not at all in line with their original meanings. I mean, do you guys have a sense of the historical meaning of liberal, for example? Um, like classic liberal? Exactly. Classical liberalism. Yeah, those uh, about personal freedoms. Right. And I think it's fair to say that regardless of our political leanings, <laughs> and I sort of, you know, shove myself in the ribs for this one, being a liberal today does not necessarily mean that you support personal liberty and personal freedom, right? Uh, in what way do you mean? Well, like, for example, a liberal today might say, you don't get to carry a gun. I don't care what you need it for. Put it away. That's fair. Certain certain things have become so muddled in identity politics. It's not about liberal versus conservatism. It's just where people have fallen and what party they identify with and what issues are important to them. Yes, but let's talk about that I... because they still use those words, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also think freedom is a paradox. I... Uh, Yes, and as an idea, mm. let's talk about it. Let's talk about the integrity of the idea, freedom. Please. I think freedom is a paradox because, or at least it leads to a paradox, because you can have more free to less free on a certain scale, but the more you, after a certain point, um, are you free to sell yourself into slavery? Which is to say, are you free to remove your own freedoms? In this society, we would say no. Right. But what does that tell you? Absence, absence of society. Like, you can't be, you know, if if you're denied the freedom to remove your own freedom, then you're not free. You don't have that freedom. But if you can remove your freedoms, then you're also no longer free. So you can't be 100% free. I think at least... And in, that's why I think it's a paradox. In our society, it... Uh... It comes to the idea that certain freedoms are inalienable and that if you can give away that freedom, then you don't really have it because it's we live in a capitalist society. And if you could be yeah. forced to give away that freedom, you often would well, in certain cases. Remove, and, remove context and think about the metaphysical freedom. Okay. Uh, can you know? Can you truly be free if you can't? If you don't have the freedom to give away your freedom? 
Can you be, truly be free after you give away your freedom? Well, hang on, though. Yeah. Because fair enough. Yeah. And, and that's something to talk about. But here I want to talk about the integrity of right. and that's... words that attach themselves to ideas. And I want to right. talk to you about what you just said. Because there are a lot of – America, right? We talk about freedom. And there's more than one reason why there's a moment of silence between that question being asked and Ben putting together an answer. It's because there is an effort of working through the problem instead of repeating sort of some of the dogma that we've been educated in as Americans. Would you guys agree with me? In America, freedom doesn't mean a lot of things, right? Freedom doesn't mean selling yourself for sex, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The idea of like inalienable freedoms, I think, is very strong in right. Western culture and especially the U.S. So there's a kind of – okay, education. There's a negative kind of freedom and a positive kind of freedom, right? There's a negative kind of freedom that we protect you against. And then there's the positive kind of freedom that you can't do. You see, you, right? Can you explain? Sorry. Yes, I can. So we define liberty and freedom and, huh, please let me know because there are ways to redefine those two things. In fact, sometimes one word is, is used to define one of these and the other word is used to define the other of these. But negative freedoms and liberties... Again, we can talk about that. The negative type of it is nobody can impinge upon your ability to X. So the negative sense is I have freedom until and unless somebody comes and tells me or forces me not to. And the government protecting me against that is my negative freedom. On the other hand, positive freedoms is... The affirmation that I am able to do certain things because someone's telling me in and making sure that I can. These are these are distinct. You see what I mean? Let me give an example. Negative freedom. No one can tell me that I can't carry a gun around in public. Pos in Texas. In Texas. <laughs> Public, public, uh, sorry, I say public. I keep saying public. Why do I keep saying public? Positive freedom. I get to enter this building, even as a handicapped individual, because the government has stepped in and said, you have to build a ramp for me to be able to do that. See? There's a distinction. And I learned that in Professor Abramson's Con Law 2 class. <laughs> me and Doug. I didn't, but that's why Chris got a better grade than I did. In any event. So, these two words, right? These two words are words of great contention. Liberty and freedom. But we mean a certain thing in America when we talk about them. And it's interesting how there are things we don't mean when we talk about freedom and liberty in America when we talk about those things. Right? Because... We don't, we don't mean prostitution, your ability to be a prostitute or to hire a prostitute. In most states, we don't mean... Well, we do talk about that in America, at least partially, because there are states with legal... There's a state with legalized prostitution. There's a county in yeah. a state yeah. <laughs> where we have legalized prostitution. The discussions happened then. And there is, there is discussion about whether prostitution should be legalized or not. It's not as loud as the discussion on marijuana. I think it's it, in the U.S., Con, uh, 
context, it comes down to like we think certain freedoms are, like I said, inalienable. Um, and that okay, you can you're you're free to do certain things, but certain things you're not free to do certain things in that you, they can't take these from you. You cannot contract these away. You cannot give these away. Yeah. And these are the the classical ones known that obviously the First Amendment and speech and uh, or uh, organization, but also things that are more uh, classical, such as like body. And that's, I think, is where the idea that uh, prostitution and other things that are deemed morally reprehensible are uh, freedoms that are taken away from you because not because you don't have that freedom, but that one is not supposed to be able to be taken away. It's, it's inherent to you. We have, I mean, we have a history of uh, adding freedoms on things that were in the past found morally reprehensible. Um, For example, gay marriage. I, I, and I think prostitution is something that'll probably become more of a debate in the future. Um, As society liberalizes. And I mean that, as society accepts more freedoms. Um, yeah. Which I think is the, is the path that it's on. I, I don't know if America in a hundred years will le- have legalized prostitution. So to refocus a little bit, I, I want to talk to you guys about, we've been talking a lot about these ideals that are very prevalent in American political debate. And I want to share with you guys something that I was thinking about recently in line of this subject. When I was younger, I had this idea that there were certain political dialogue words that were highly efficient from a political consumer's perspective. And the reason that they were highly efficient is that, and I thought this at the time, I can see a lot of problems with this view now. A consumer who has a certain mindset will find X word to be a word that is indicative of good. Y word is indicative of wrong and align with X. So connotation. Right. But the examples I think are very important here. I think that an example of words that I thought were that way at the time were liberal and conservative. Because my idea at the time was if you're a liberal, you like the word liberal, you think it describes you well, you enjoy having it attached to you, and you don't like the word conservative. But if you're a conservative, you like the word conservative, you would like what it means, it attaches to you well, and you don't like the word liberal. I think a good example of this is how so many um, insults hurled towards the other side are variations on those words. Yes. Like libtard. Right. Um, and, and people even use those words as insults. Uh, not not just like liberal and conservative. Yeah, know. yeah. Right. But, so. I, but I've identified a major problem with this. And the problem lies in another... Here's an easier example of where the problem lies. Pro-choice, pro-life. Yeah. That's just good branding. Yeah. Exactly. Why is that? Because... Nobody wants to be anti-choice or anti-life. Exactly. exactly. I wanted to hear our guests say it, but I think yeah. that's what you would probably say, right, Ben? Yeah, those both have positive connotations. It's... And nobody would say, I'm against life, and nobody would say, I'm against choice. But why do those words work? As in, 
Let me put it a different way. What does the pro example, what is the pro-lifer not like about a pro-choicer? Is because they think it's anti-life. It's the ideas they have attached to those, those meanings. Exactly. See, this is my greater problem with a lot of the terminology we use, especially in political dialogue. It's not about the words, because the words have their own meaning that often is structured in a way that maximizes its own utility, maximizes its own ethics. Maximizes its own palatability, I'd even say. I agree. Agreed, Doug. Yeah. Because I don't think the words change the argument. No, they don't. Right. But just make the argument look better. What ends up happening is people twist the words because, not because they don't like the word or what the ideal version of the word stands for, but instead because they don't trust the people who believe in that word. Make sense? And let me find an example of this that is very near and dear to my own heart. Socialism. <laughs> no, I think that's that's very accurate. Yeah. Socialism in the United States is a is a dirty word, but it is in a lot of other first world countries. They just like self purportedly describe their government as democ or socialist democracies. Yes. Yeah, or uh, national socialist. Well, there's whole parties, yeah, devoted to the whole idea of socialism. If, if you're in 1930, <laughs> so it's in some places it's seen as well. Again, it's hard for us to imagine now some of these words not having the other part of it that we assign to it now, right? I mean, on the subject of integrity of ideas, let's look at some of these nice words that people put together that ended up resulting in, well, fascism, (laughs) Holocaust, I mean, World War II, you name it, right? Easy to put that on National Socialism. And a lot of people put a lot of things on socialism, right? But what is socialism? I mean, it's just as easy to put it on nationalism. Sure, sure. Yeah, You can put a lot of things on a lot of things. And that's what we're talking about, right? So absolutely that's relevant. Right? Sure. Yeah. So um, what is socialism? I would say uh, government-involved economics. I'm not going to say government-controlled economics because that would be communism. Agreed. But government-involved economics. I like your definition. That's a hard one. Um, I, I I agree with Doug, and I, I think there is a – it goes beyond just economics. Is in the way I conceptualize socialism is not just government social choice or social programs too. Yeah, not just government uh, involved in the economics, but also a uh, social contract that um, puts on the government responsibilities to provide certain things. As in, a uh, this is part part of participating in this society is people are afforded these basic basic liberties and then also basic assurances. Okay, so social net kind of thing. social net, social insurance. Right. So what's interesting is I'll share what is partially a personal story and partially a little lesson that I had. So there's a person on YouTube who posts like, I think what he calls it is etymosemanticology. Uh, 
treatises where he talks about like the histor- the history of words, the concepts that attach to them, and the ways that they have changed over time. Essentially the uh the point of this podcast. And one of the things he talked about was socialism and communism and the way that they have interwoven and been uh okay, what's the word I'm looking for now? Uh when when you confuse one thing for another. Conflated. Thank you. Conflated. Good word. The way they've been confused and conflated over time. And it's interesting because one of the things that was most involved in the conflation was obviously the efforts of governments around the world to affect that conflation. And I'm remembering that recently I shared with somebody that I consider myself on the whole to be a socialist. And the immediate reaction I got was, so you think everybody should be paid the same amount of money no matter what they do? (laughs) And I said, no. (laughs) Where did you get that idea? I think one of the big problems that occurs that uh, with political words is that we often use one word to define a whole spectrum. Uh, Yes. And in, in Chris's example, we'd be he he could say he's a socialist, but how much of a socialist is he? Uh, same with liberal and conservative, because if you you can, because there there are spectrums. Um, you can be a socialist who supports socialized medicine, but not socialized housing, or you can be a socialist who supports both. Yeah, yeah, I think you with know. those kind of but, extremely loaded words. It attaches a bunch of ideas, but each of those ideas themselves are spectrums. Yeah, and it's weird to me because you can call someone a socialist and the word's not definitive because you don't know what their actual policy choices are because you don't know where they lie on the spectrum. So right. if and, and that's you know what the guy said basically yeah. is that Chris called himself a socialist. The other person took the definition of that meaning. I want everyone to be equal. have equal age yeah. wages. Yeah, and Chris, as far as I know, isn't that much of a socialist. No. And there you say it again: that much of a socialist, right? Right. So not only does the the I, the word come loaded with a bunch of ideas, and there is a spectrum of socialists, but also each of those ideas that comes with social medicine, social insurance, a uh, more socialized economy, also comes, have a spectrum. Yeah, it comes with an intensity right. to every. And do you think? Do you think then that there's an idea of like the perfect socialist? Because I use the word that much of a socialist. Right. So like, no, you know, I'm only 80% socialist. I'm only 80% of the perfect socialist. And I'm glad you asked because I disagree. So we'll have our drink. And the answer is I disagree. I think that socialism exists as a spectrum that does not have, it, it doesn't incur a kind of, perfect set uh sets instead it's you end up somewhere on the spectrum well i don't mean do you specifically i think do you think there's a societal idea because we do say that much of a socialist of like zero to 100 i do think there's that societal ideal yeah in this country i do yeah and that's where things get weird because there is that phrase that much of a socialist and you have this idea that the definition of uh, when, when someone says a socialist, or I'm I'm a bit of a socialist, or you know I'm a 
I'm a lot of a socialist. I'm very socialist. Like, it's, it's how far they are on the sliding scale towards the perfect socialist. So let me move this a little bit. Have either of you ever been in an experience where you've been a part of something, believed in something, aligned yourself with something, and encountered a situation where your understanding of a thing is, like, so utterly misunderstood by your own, like, perspective by another person? Yes, but mine's super embarrassing. Or the one that comes to mind. Oh. I'm not I, gonna... I don't want to push you to share that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not as much me being misunderstood, but I guess someone misunderstanding what he said he was for. Okay. Um, this was... I was at a, uh, a party in... Uh, undergrad and I was talking with this guy who was self-proclaimed like very libertarian and so I tried to get him to flesh out more of like what that meant and he talked like oh I just think there should be like less less government involved unless it's absolutely necessary and I knew this what he this guy meant by libertarian was actually Republican and so I tried to get him flesh out like oh well I just think like government shouldn't be involved unless absolutely necessary and like I think it's just they get there's too much government and it needs to be pulled back and all these areas involved where there just there's no reason for the uh, federal government to be involved. And I was like, oh yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, like gay marriage. And he's like, no, no, I think that's that's uh, a <laughs> that's something <laughs> where the government should step in. And it's just he had I guess he really didn't think through what he meant by libertarianism. And when he tried to define it for himself, he realized it was it was inconsistent with what he actually believed. Yeah, and so it's it's kind of a not exactly the example you're looking for, but it's kind of something similar. I where mean, no, the way he was describing it was misunderstood by me to mean something different than what he actually believed because right. of but his own words. I think that what's what's very fair about that example is there's sort of a, a dual nature to the misunderstanding because on the one hand. He's very sure that you don't get it. And on the other hand, you're very sure he doesn't get it. And you're using the same word, right? I mean, this is what we're talking about with the integrity of ideas. I mean, the issue remains, we're, we're using the same word and we're fundamentally describing very different things, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, in an effort to... Uh, what's happening now? Uh-oh. So, uh, in an effort to okay, I know what I know what kind of uh, games Doug tends to play. Ben, do you get much in the video games yourself? Uh, I used to. I haven't had a lot of time in law school, but I played a little bit when I have time. Okay, what kind of stuff? Uh, usually I like strategy stuff, things where it's so civilization. I used to play Civilization. Um. I played some Hearthstone a while back because it's it's very bite sized, which is good for law school. Like mm-hmm. when you have the break, you can take the break. But I think it's just anything with a uh, puzzles or lots of moving pieces where you have to keep track of everything. It's very rewarding when you get it right. Okay, fair enough. Are there any particular titles you can think of? Um, like I said, I used to play a lot of Civilization and Hearthstone. I think those two most recent strategy games I played. Okay. 
Why? Darn. What do you, what do you I was hoping. I was hoping to get involved our uh, rule about video games because I wanted to talk about. I wanted to see if you had a game that you were playing uh, that had some kind of because a lot of games play a lot of <laughs> games with ideology. Um, I've been playing a lot of Call of Duty Infinite Warfare recently. <laughs> and that's one game that has a lot of ideological battles going back and forth. Um, but I-, I wanted to get the rule involved. I couldn't get it involved. Um, we still talked about video games. That is the rule. Yeah, we'll have our All right. It counts. But really, you know, we've, we've talked a whole lot about like things that sort of end up occurring to us as being words that attach themselves to ideas that really end up being a part of our modern day lives on a day-to-day basis whether it be politics or lifestyle or anything else but it seems that these issues are ancient in origin because one example you just brought up Ben is this this person who described themselves to you as libertarian. Libertarianism comes from sort of an ancient source, right? And there's a lot of other ideas that we can pull from ancient sources. What do you mean libertarianism comes from an ancient source? That's a good point. I mean a very different thing when I say ancient than I think a lot of people would. Ancient compared to what we're talking about because it's pre-United States foundation. Like, from a perspective of what, you mean the United States didn't invent liberty? <laughs> oh, I would never say that. I would never make such a claim. Um, no, but I just mean like, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, I do, I, do, I do today in this situation pull ancient from a very modern source. Because in terms of the way that we're communicating about these political ideals that we attach to these terminologies. Like Ben just said, you know, you can't just sit there and say, I'm libertarian and mean Republican. At least as far as Ben is saying, that's not good enough. I would probably agree. I think libertarian has just become rebranded recently to mean young Republican. (laughs) Right. Or, yeah, I mean, they have a cool word for Republican. Right. Well, I mean, that's the other thing. We can talk about alignments, right? I mean, the reality is that people will structure the way they do things in a certain way that aligns themselves with bigger words, words that are more often used. So you don't want to be a Republican? Fine. Be a libertarian and then still be a Republican, right? I mean, with Bernie Sanders was running for president, you could go ahead and be a socialist, quote unquote, and be a Democrat, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like a greater issue also is how can we even define our terms when, in a larger sense, they just end up aligning with larger words where the confusion is so great at a certain point where, like, what are we even doing? We're, we're just feeding smaller words into larger words and we don't understand what any of it means. Yeah, I think that's, that's if we're having this context, uh, this con- conversation in the context of U.S. politics, I think that's going to happen especially bad because there's essentially only two real choices and most of the words that are used to describe the two choices, the two political parties aren't really applicable in the classical sense. Those words used to have. Yeah. So let's pull out of the modern and the political real quick, please. Fair. 
but it's going to get worse, though. Oh, I can't I, wait. I, I don't want to suggest to you, Ben, that we're going safer places. Religion? Or where are we going Yeah, next? we're going to religion Perfect. real quick. Ben. We're, we're a good Christian podcast. Awesome. <laughs> ben and Doug. See, I'm glad you, to hear you guys say that because I want you to define for me Christianity. Oh. Followers of the teachings of Jesus Christ. Second enough? Yeah. A lot of people throughout history would disagree with you, but Ben, what do you think? I think if you're going to... Yeah, if you're going to encapsulate all of what most people think of Christianity and most people identify themselves as Christian, it uh, would be followers of the Church of Jesus Christ, in particular the New Testament, but not strictly well, necessary. I'm even, I'm even just going to say teachings rather than church um, because I, I want to distance Christianity <laughs> from the church in, sure. a, in a broader sense. So you're a heretic. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'll, I mean, yeah. And, and throughout history, for the majority of the existence of the Christian church, right, you would be branded as somebody who should be burned at the stake or otherwise killed very brutally. Right, right? but heretics are still Christians. They're just wrong Christians. <laughs> you would not find that agreed with throughout much of history. Because, well, there, because there's a distinction between those people and, say, um, com people who follow completely other religions. Yes, in that you would be more brutally treated, because you're you're <laughs> sure, more sure, bad you're, yeah yeah you're but you're worse and by the because way I'm making them look bad. You're where <laughs> I am right now in my life, and I want to make a correction. By the way, in a previous show, I said that I was a profligate. I realize that's not correct, uh, and yeah, you that's can definitely hit game the hammer. One, yeah, yeah. Um, I said profligate. That's wrong. I meant apostate. Okay, uh, apostate's the worst thing you can be. Apostate is, you've seen the light of the, the Christian faith and you've rejected it. That's me. So I'm the worst of all. Um, or that's your idea of apostate. Yes. <laughs> that's the definition that I've adopted. Very good point, Ben. Always questioning the words. So, Doug, to finalize the, the uh, response. Essentially, the issue is that Throughout a lot of the Christian church's history, you just saying, I follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, would be easily enough to say, uh, you are not a Christian, and you should be the worst treated, because you're worse than being ignorant, you're... Making us look bad. You're adulterating the you entire thing. Yeah. You made me look bad. Ben, what do you think Christianity is? Um... Like I was saying, I I think Doug hit probably the core of it with followers of the followers of the teachings of Jesus Christ. But I think for the most part, most people who identify as Christian would bring the New Testament into it in some ways. Like yeah. following followers of the teachings of Jesus Christ, and this here is the teachings of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I'd like to I'd like to rebut Chris and that when someone is uh, burning me on the stake for being a heretic. <laughs> Um, <laughs> what they're burning me on the stake for isn't because I'm not a Christian, but it's because I'm not a Catholic or a uh, not the, not the right Christian. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking within the category of the cath through the great majority of Christian history, 
Catholic faith was the only thing that existed. Yes. It's only the last 30% of Christian history that it wasn't the only thing that existed. And during the period that you would have been put on the stake for failing to follow the Catholic faith, you would not have been branded a differently thinking Catholic. You would have been branded a heretic. Right. Because but they didn't have a concept of a different they don't. They don't have any more power over what the word means than I do. Fair enough. Fair enough. Because what I was going to talk about was you guys would be astonished about the amount of heresies that were involved in the early days of the Catholic Church, which are now fundamental like beliefs of many people, even Catholics. Well, I'm not that astonished. I was. I was astonished. I mean, like, for example. The early church was very liberal. It wasn't until it consolidated. Ah! Uh, I'm talking about <coughs> Chalcedonian days, I guess. Fuck, I'm talking about Jesus days. <laughs> Oof, wow, listen. Yeah, I'm... And, and yes, I do separate the teachings of Jesus to Jesus, establish... Jesus was a hippie. Church. He was just a holy hippie. And we just have to sort out the liberalism out of there. This discussion already should give you some understanding about the the nightmare, the integrity of the idea of Christianity. Yeah, as in like the idea that you have um, Jesus Christ preaching certain things and then a thousand years later a church takes up the mantle that has a different set of beliefs. Worse than that, this many years later. I mean, Jesus. But a thousand and then further on and then many many yeah. further on I, I mean doug okay is that like is that the... have you have you uh told us on a previous show your uh designation within the christian faith um it's a reference to a previous show i mean i yes. i yeah i suppose i've joked about being a christian mystic uh right but do you have a, a baseline for that what do you mean like do you have a particular faith that you were ever brought up in or anything um my parents were the were the type of Christian. They were the um, the self defined Christians. As a, they were, they were the type of Christians who didn't go to church. Um, Any church, okay. Yeah, but still used God. But still would say grace very proudly on Thanksgiving. Okay. Um, and no other time, and would talk about how terrible other religions are, but not about Christianity. They were those types of Christians, or at least my mom was. My dad didn't care. Now, Ben, any background in the faith? Uh, n- well, not really. Not for my parents. They kind of were of the attitude, like, go out and figure out what's for you. And mm-hmm. that's basically what I did. Okay, fair and enough. So I attended some, some Christian churches of different denominations. But... I didn't really have any direct religious influence from my parents. I did so, go to a Catholic university for four years in undergrad. No, that's that's fair enough. I was going to say between me and Ben, you know, it's not a helpful conversation because neither one of us could really talk about it. But I, unfortunately, you know, I was uh, it's a it's a little bit frustrating because I think that most Christians would understand that if you walked up to another Christian and said, "I'm Christian," there are some situations in which that might be enough. But I think most situations, there would warrant an additional question or two. As in what denomination? Yeah. Yeah. That's often the follow-up question. Right. For what reason? Uh, Part of it's curiosity. Part of it's because um, 
the denomination they are tells you about how they practice their religion. Yeah. And I think that those those additional facts have something to do with the integrity of the original idea. And don't get me wrong, it's been thousands of years. Any idea is going to start splintering at that point. But I think it does give even well, any normal... technically, it hasn't been thousands yet. Because Jesus may have been born year zero, but he didn't start... He didn't establish his religion until he was 30. Which, if you're in your 20s and feel like you haven't gotten your life together yet, remember, Jesus didn't start a religion until he was 30. Fine. This fair is, enough. This is the most lawyer comment. Yeah, so... <laughs> Technically, it hasn't been it's thousands of years. It's thousands yeah, of years. Yeah, until 2030-ish to 2033, um, thousands with an S might not be the right word. And this is why you get burned at the stake. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. This is heresy, I Um No, good point. I mean, but... Sort of. No, it's a terrible point. No, no, no. But but it's one of those things that wastes time. (laughs) Overall, (laughs) there is a natural splintering of the integrity of an idea over time, and for a lot of Christians, it's not something that bothers them nearly as much. But I think you can see the same forces. This is why I want to tie it back in this political discourse that we have, because you know, especially these days, these days. There was once a time, I think, not that long ago, where a Republican could talk to another Republican. But during the days of the Tea Party, one person said to another, I'm a conservative slash Republican. There might be more questions warranted. Well, what do you mean? Are you one of those, you know, toe-the-line kind of conservatives? Or are you a go-to-rallies and, and riot-in-the-street kind of conservative? Then now, more recently... If somebody told me they were a Democrat, I might ask, well, are you a Clinton-type Democrat or are you a Sanders-type Democrat? Like, what wing are you talking about? And uh, this is just where my brain kind of goes. But I think part of that comes down to, especially things like religion and politics, they tend to become very associated with our, like, deep hopes and fears. And so there's a... Obviously, you've heard of tribalism, but there's there's hey, a that oh that animal. is yeah the title of tribalism. Um, it's tribes all the way down. Well, also there's a uh, a biological or I guess neuro biological neurological um, basis for tribalism. In I that, was about to say that's all the same, and I literally think that me thinking that is a drink on itself. I don't know if it's a rule, okay, but me thinking that bio what hang on yeah. Bio- Biological, what? neurological, oh, biochemical. I was going to attach these. Going? I was going to say neurologisms and biologisms, but it's all the same. Uh, well, what I was saying is there's a uh, a biological, neurological basis for tribalism, in that uh, human brains have this reptile part of your brain, which is concerned with the things that scare you and the fight or flight instincts. And so, with these words that we strongly identify with particularly with like religious and political words, usually you use those words to be like, is this someone I'm going to feel comfortable with? Is this someone I'm going to start the conversation with thinking I should agree? Or is this someone where I'm going to be extremely skeptical with? Is this someone from another tribe, another ideology where I need to carefully dissect everything they say because somehow, some way they're against me and they're preying on my fears 
and uh, trying to destroy my hopes. So and when people say that the political parties are controlled by lizard people, we're all lizard people. Is that what, <laughs> yeah? Is that what they mean? When it comes to politics, we're all lizard people. <laughs> That's a drink. That's a drink. What's the what's the rule for that drink? That's plagiarism. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> drink again. Is it, it, or is it just such a bad joke that it deserves a drink? There should definitely be a rule for that. Puns and bad jokes. That's just that that basically is a is a de facto rule on every single show. Yeah. Um. No, but it, you know, and and here's the thing, Ben. You know, great point, and it's and it's one of the things that I was wanting to dig into on this episode so let's be clear what is it that helps people to decide whether they're with someone they're talking to or against them um i think in the case of like politics and christianity it's mainly what you identify with less what you believe in Right, and and how do we communicate what we identify with, right? With with the words with that the bring words. with it so many ideas, and yeah. like you were saying, sometimes that word becomes split because of usually because of what people are exposed to. Where, okay, you're a Democrat, but you're a Clinton Democrat or a Sanders Democrat, or the Republican Party several years ago. Okay, are you a traditional Republican or you're a Tea Party Republican? Where people felt strong identity in these words, and then they see a shifting. And a, uh, a division in what that word means or who identifies with that word. And so it's no longer their safe tribe. That word is, okay, maybe we're from the same region, but are we still from the so, same tribe? Chris, can you talk real quick? Because we are getting uh, really far along in the episode. Yeah. What exactly do you mean about integrity of ideas? Because I know that <laughs> is your topic, and I've, we've barely touched that. Oh, yeah. I, we've talked about, we've given all the background. I think it's time to talk about your point. We jumped right into religion and politics. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's fair. That's fair, Doug. That's fair. I I really meant to show by, I, I really meant to teach by showing in this yes. episode rather than telling, but I'll tell. Right. I mean, for me, integrity of an idea is the the metric where you can look at the way a thing was originally conceived and track the way it has deviated from that over time. And the deviation can be caused by so much. It can be caused by just the sheer time and distance between the thing itself and the people who receive it and practice it. It can be the the distance between the original idea and the applications of the idea such that people who apply the idea realize that it has to be applied in different ways. But at the end of the day, whether we're talking about sort of the intellectual property sense of it, whether we're talking about politics, whether we're talking about religion, whether we're talking about this basic communication, human to human, where we're trying to figure out what are we talking about, you end up with this lack of integrity of that idea such that so many of these heavy words we use with each other words like liberty and freedom and libertarianism democrat republican christian it's so hard to just parse from that alone what one means and what that tells me is the integrity of these ideas has disintegrated over time and the disintegration is very real and prevalent um my response is that i don't believe the integrity of i don't believe the integrity ever existed to begin with 
as soon as it left the lips of the person who conceived the idea. Um, and the reason I'm going to say that is because we aren't, as human beings, completely efficient communicators. So if I try to explain my idea to someone else, I can be better or worse at this, but no matter what, the picture I'm going to paint in someone's head is going to be different than the picture I have in my own head. Agreed. And therefore, as soon as an idea is shared, there's no longer integrity. I think you're you're absolutely right. I, I This is more of a side note. I think it's funny what we actually started on is the exact inverse of this problem we've been discussing this whole time. So what we've been discussing is these words that mean a lot of different ideas and have drastically different meanings. But what we started on was GIF versus GIF versus, what was it? GIF. 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 And those are different ways to Maybe pronounce that. the exact same idea where everybody knows exactly what you're talking That's about. That's a very good point. I did not think about that. Um, and fair enough. I mean, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, what do y'all think? Is it for the better or for the worse that ideas lose their integrity as soon as they leave the lips of the person who created them. Because by the way, Doug, I agree. You cannot share an idea with anybody else without that idea being fundamentally changed by it. We see the change in the sort of endless cycles of entropy that happens over every person who shares it so that it's geometrically evolving in the sense of its change. But is that good or bad? I refuse to assign a value. <laughs> what and, do you think about it? Um, I think it's it's natural. It happens. Uh, I refuse to assign a value to something that isn't, is unchangeable. I mean, I will assign a value, but I do yeah, understand where it. Doug's coming from. I think it inherently has to be good if you believe in any sort of human individuality otherwise if you could communicate as perfectly as okay all these ideas have the exact same set meaning and we all understand what we're talking about with this imperfect way of communicating it would mean that we essentially all had the exact same morals exact same set humans would be more or less the same person if you could communicate perfectly all the time because there's so many intricacies that go into how you interpret human communication and not just verbal, nonverbal and written communication that it would be impossible for us to have perfect communication of these very abstract ideas or really any sort of communication um, without some confusion as long as we are individuals with different thoughts and morals and values. So I would say that's good just because it's an inherent cost of uh human individuality all right well i think at this point we'll probably move on to our final thoughts on the subject uh we'll move across the room doug all right um on the integrity of ideas uh i i'm going to explain my position just a little bit on the refusing to assign a value because that's a very harsh position in a sense but um I don't like assigning values to natural things because uh, they're unchangeable anyways, so you kind of have to accept them uh, and their consequences. And once you realize that it's part of uh, the natural place we live in, then we can't really, and that we can't, we just have to accept it without assigning a value. I do think that 
Ben is absolutely right in that the lack of integrity promotes um, growth and variance in what an idea means. Uh, I also... Th this is why, say, when someone writes a play, um, you can have plays that are better or worse depending on the actors and the directing involved. Um, exact same script. Some plays are better or worse. It depends on what the director sees and what the actors see and their lines and choreographers and everyone else involved. Uh, so you, you see a very different... Uh, you can see very, very different approaches um, versus some types of art or like paintings where um, the the painting doesn't change, but people's views of it change. Uh, I I think it's I think it's a great thing then that we can we can all see the same thing and perceive it differently. It's interesting. I like hearing how other people perceive. Um, their ideas. Um, as far as the the concept the, of uh, integrity of ideas, I guess I'm kind of split in two ways of how I perceive it. Uh, one's an objective way and one's a sub subjective way. In the objective way, at least, it's not the ideas that lack integrity, it's the words. The ideas are pure. The ideas have a a set concept, but the way we are able to describe it is imperfect. And so there might be this objective idea out there, but the way we're able to communicate it to each other is flawed and we lack any way to really get past the communication barrier without heavy discussion and arguing semantics like we've been doing. And, uh, that's sort of the objectivist view is okay. There are, these ideas and they have a set meaning, but the way we're able to communicate them is just so inherently flawed because of the vast differences from person to person. Second way is the more subjective way. And, uh, this is less of these ideas have a set meaning and in reality, and there is such a thing as altruism. There is such a thing as conservatism, uh, Christianity, anything that there is, there's a set value for any of these things and more of that your perception is reality. And the, uh, the communication between people is just them trying to impart their reality of this concept onto each other. And so any sort of discussion of these very vague ideas is an inherently a communication that's persuasive because you're trying to say, this is my perception of it. And this is the way I believe your perception of it should be because this is my reality. And that's what I'm trying to communicate to you. So I guess that's what it comes down to to me is either there is a set value for these very vague, um, very nebulous ideas or, there is no objective value at all. And it's all just what we perceive them to be and how we communicate that perception. Yeah. I mean, you know, Ben, I'm usually a real sucker for sort of these idyllic circumstances where you talk about these platonic ideas of platonic ideals 
of what the idea is. And then there's the imperfect communication form. Uh, but in this instance, I think I have to disagree with that just because I think that a feature of the system, and I am going to assign a, a positive trait to the lack of integrity of an idea. I think that the feature of the system is that as soon as you start communicating to another person what you mean, progress starts occurring. And this system of sharpening the iron of whatever you originally had, of taking sort of the original form and processing it into something greater and processing it over a long time, I think, ends up starts happening. So I will, you know, one thing about America, as an example, is that we talk a lot about how America has one of the firmest protection systems for intellectual ideas. But I want to read something very quickly from the Constitution of this country. And it is Article 8, Section 8 of the Constitution, which I'm sure Ben is very familiar with. A little bit, yeah. To promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive rights to their respective writings and discoveries. But of course, herein, you don't hear anything about the idea, the notion, the invention, anything of that sort. Because we don't pretend to secure to anybody, and I think nor should we, the idea of a thing, the notion of a thing, the fundamental part of a thing that makes it what it is. Because I think that the Founding Fathers and any thinking individual in this day and age is going to recognize how changeable and evolving and maybe even, yes, ephemeral, an idea is and how much we should support that development over time. And that being said, ladies and gentlemen who are listening to the show, we hope you've had a great time listening to our show tonight. We are proud to have brought you Mr. Ben Alred as a brand new guest to the show. And thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great night and we'll see you next time.